0: Episode 13 of the Giants of the Faith Podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we look at individuals from the age of the Church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom. Hall of Famers, if you will. In this episode, we'll take a look at one of the Giants of the Giants, Blaise Pascal. Pascal was a great intellect, inventor, apologist, theologian and the rare man who is a hero of both the religious and the scientific communities. He was a true Renaissance man, and definitely is worthy of inclusion in this series. Blaise Pascal was born June 19, 1623, in Clermont-Ferrand, France, to parents Etienne and Antoinette. He was the middle of three children, having two sisters, Jacqueline and Gilbert. His mother died when he was only three years old, shortly after Jacqueline's death. Pascal's father had been a judge, but after his wife died, he sold his position for 65,000 livres. This money financed the family's move to Paris, and since the father wasn't working, and he recognized the potential of his children, Etienne decided to homeschool them. Etienne was a lawyer, he spoke Latin and Greek, he was a bit of a natural philosopher, and an amateur mathematician. He took great pride in the intellectual abilities exhibited by all of his children. Blaise, in particular, took to mathematics as a young prodigy. He was a sickly child, but he did not let that hamper his intellectual progress. By age 16, he'd published his essay on the conics, on the properties of hexagons and conics, and submitted it to university for review. Things were going pretty well for the Pascal family for a few years, until about 1638. Etienne had invested his money in government bonds, and the family lived off the income from those bonds. France, at the time, was controlled by Cardinal Richelieu, and if you know anything about the Cardinal, then you already know we will not be featuring him in a future episode of Giants of the Faith. Anyway, Richelieu defaulted on the government's bonds, and Pascal's small fortune evaporated. As a critic of the Cardinal, he was forced to flee Paris and leave his children behind. Jacqueline was a prodigy in her own right. As a preteen, she was writing verse and composing plays. When she was 12, she published her first book of poetry. In 1638, she was invited to attend the court of Queen Anne of Austria to receive personal thanks from the queen regarding a poem Jacqueline had written for the queen's recent pregnancy. During the audience, Jacqueline amazed the court by freestyling poems on the spot as onlookers shouted out subjects for her to cover. After her father was forced to flee Paris, in disgrace, she performed in a play that Cardinal Richelieu attended in 1639. Thirteen-year-old Jacqueline had the courage and wit to appeal directly to the cardinal to pardon her father. The cardinal assented to her request, and also made Étienne the royal tax collector for the Normandy district. So the family was off to Rouen. The position of tax collector sounds like an important one, but it was not without its problems. People of the 17th century didn't like tax collectors any more than you or I do, and Normandy traditionally prided itself on its independence from Paris, and balked at the high tax rates Richelieu had imposed to pay for his Thirty Years' War. Additionally, the area was suffering from recent crop failures, street violence, and a plague outbreak. It was into this uncertain climate that Etienne moved his family, and it was here that Blaise's intellect really began to shine. Seeing his father struggle under the weight of the many calculations required of him, Blaise began to wonder if a mechanical contrivance could be developed to alleviate this mundane task. In 1642, he began to work in earnest to design and build such a device. In 1645, he finished and publicly displayed his arithmetic machine, which was the world's first mechanical calculator. It worked by having a set of wheels that were connected such that as one wheel completed a rotation, it rotated the next wheel by one-tenth of a revolution. So, at age 19, he had conceived of a revolutionary device, and by age 22, it was a reality. Score one for the homeschoolers. During the winter of 1646, Etienne fell and broke his hip while hurrying through the ruined streets to break up a duel. A broken hip was often fatal in the 17th century. With that in mind, he decided that he would only let the two most prominent local physicians treat him, doctors Deslande and De La Boutier. Host note, I just made up the pronunciation of those names. I have no idea how to actually say them, so we'll just stick with Dr. D and Dr. B for this part of the episode. Doctors D and B were followers of the relatively new teaching known as Jansenism. During the three months it took Etienne to rehabilitate, they visited often and spoke at length with Blaise about Jansenism. Jansenism was a philosophy within the Catholic Church that, according to Wikipedia, emphasized original sin, human depravity, the necessity of divine grace, and predestination. Jansenism was Augustinian, and it was opposed by the very powerful Jesuit sect. Pascal was impressed and began to undergo a sort of conversion. He began to think and write about theology. But his fervor didn't last. He soon went back to his mostly worldly ways, living for a time in Paris, and he joined a sort of rat pack of Parisian society. Young men that were of his station, that were thinkers, that were military men and courtiers. He continued his studies and research, including his work on vacuums and atmospheric pressure. He left Paris for a time due to civil unrest, but returned shortly thereafter. On one occasion, while sick in bed, he was visited by René Descartes. So he traveled in pretty high circles while he was in Paris. In 1651, Etienne died with Blaise and Jacqueline at his bedside. He was 63 years old. Gilbert could not attend because she was at home about to give birth to a son, whom she named Etienne in his grandfather's honor. He left his estate to Blaise and Jacqueline, with Blaise in charge of managing the inheritance. Jobert had already received her share when she was wed. Soon after her father's death, Jacqueline announced that she would enter the Jansenist convent at Port Royal. This was a source of great disagreement between brother and sister. Blaise was sickly, and he wanted Jacqueline to be his caregiver. In the end, though, he relented and blessed her entry into the convent, and Jacqueline signed over her inheritance to Blaze. Within two years, however, he agreed to give Jacqueline's share to Port Royal. Blaze began visiting Jacqueline at Port Royal. He expressed to her his discontentment with life and the world. He suffered from guilt at his position and a lack of purpose. This despite having gifts that the world would see as fulfilling, a great intellect, scientific research and discovery, a thriving social life, What he was discovering was that life without God is empty vanity. On November twenty-third, 1654, Pascal was crossing a bridge in a coach during a storm when the horses pulling the coach bolted and leapt off the edge. The carriage broke free, and Pascal was saved from any real harm. He took this as a sign from God that he needed to change. That night, he sat at his desk, and he wrote what would come to be called The Memorial. The memorial is a poetic outpouring of emotion and love and faith. It begins with a small cross drawn at the top of the page and the words Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and learned." He expresses his joy at finding Christ and his commitment to Him, and the writing is ecstatic. He ends the memorial by saying, Total submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's trial on earth. I shall not forget thy word. Pascal treasured the memorial. In fact, he had it sewn into the lining of his coat, so it was always with him. When he died, it was removed and kept by his sister Gilbert. From then on, Pascal no longer lived for mathematics or physics or for the pleasures of the world. He lived primarily for Christ. He vowed to use his talents for the glorification of God, and to uplift and inspire fellow believers. He aligned himself with the Jansenists at Port Royal, who were always treated with suspicion by the wider church, and especially by the Jesuits. The leader of the Jansenists had been forced to retire from public life, under fear of being branded a heretic by the Roman Pope. This is where Pascal believed he could serve. He began writing anonymous letters, known as the Provincial Letters, under a pseudonym that supported the Jansenists and attacked the Jesuits. These letters were different from the theological arguments that had come before. Pascal used wit, sarcasm, and mockery to score points. The style of writing was conversational as opposed to scholarly, and therefore could be read and understood by the common man. They were quite popular and left the Jesuits on the back foot. Despite Pascal's brilliant defense of Jansenism, and a supposed miraculous healing from a thorn that supposedly was harvested from Christ's crown, Port Royal was doomed. A papal bull condemning Jansenism was issued in 1656, and an oath of orthodoxy that asserted that Jansenism was corrupted by heresy was forced on all the French priests, monks, and nuns. This included Pascal's sister, Jacqueline. Four years later, in 1660, Port Royal was barred from admitting new adherents, its schools were shut down, and it was forced into the obscurity of history. Jacqueline vehemently opposed this turn of events, and her health spiraled until her death on her 36th birthday, October 4th, 1661. Meanwhile, Pascal had begun work on a great apologetic work, which would come to be called the Penses. It was to be a defense of traditional Augustinian Christianity. While preparing this apology, Pascal was ill. At the suggestion of his physicians, he turned his mind for a brief time to mathematics. While suffering from a toothache that prevented him from sleeping, he solved the cycloid, a mathematical problem that had stumped Galileo, Descartes, and more. He published his solution anonymously, after challenging some of the brightest minds of the age to solve the problem. Once the solution was completed and published, Pascal turned his attention back to pensées. He worked on pensées, or thoughts, when his health allowed. His vision for the project was to make an exhaustive, apologetic document. What we have now is basically the outline for a much larger document. Unfortunately, by 1659, Pascal's health was very poor never particularly healthy, he had reached a new low. A retreat to the country revived him, and when he returned to Paris, he designed a public omnibus system for the city. His idea was acted on, and the result was that Paris had the world's first public transportation system. One of Pascal's thoughts was regarding making the gospel approachable. Men despise religion, he wrote. They hate it and are afraid that it may be true. The cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive, make good men wish it were true, and then show that it is. He thought that men did not want Christianity to be true, but they feared that it might be. Some people have reasonable arguments why Christianity is a myth, some just hate it because it exists. People know that if Christianity is true, then they will no longer be in control of their lives. As such, they are willing to accept even the flimsiest argument against it. He said, In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe, and enough shadow to blind those who don't. So how does the Christian witness to such as these? Surprise them by being thoughtful, sensible, generous, helpful, and open-minded. They expect Christians to be hypocrites, who say one thing but live their lives a different way. Make them respect your faith by living it out in a Christ-like way. And when he says make it attractive, he doesn't mean to make it into something it's not. He means to show it at its best, that Christ provides the ultimate fulfillment rather than the world. That's not to say that Pascal believed that reason would lead men to faith. It's not through the mind, but rather the heart that we come to know God. It is through faith alone, and God is the one that provides that faith. Reason has its place, but it is not the sole producer of faith, even in reasonable men. You might have heard of Pascal's wager. Basically, in the wager he argues that we all make a bet on whether God exists and if we're going to put our faith in him. Pascal says that if God does exist, and we believe, we have infinite gain and infinite loss if we choose not to believe. On the other hand, if God does not exist, then both the gain and loss are finite. So the prudent wager is to believe. He summarized, if I believe in God and life after death and you do not, and if there is no God, we both lose when we die. However if there is a God, you still lose and I gain everything. This wager has been debated and written about extensively through the years. As Pascal became weaker, he also became more austere. He shunned any sort of pleasurable dining experience, believing that one should eat for nourishment rather than enjoyment. He idealized poverty, and he got rid of all the fancy furnishings and fittings in his home. He even took in and supported a homeless family. He also advised his sister Gilbert, to refrain from treating her children with too much public affection, fearing that they would become too dependent on her rather than God. Toward the end of his life, Pascal moved in and out of consciousness. He suffered from fevers and colic. Through it all, he continued to work on pensée until his death on August 19, 1662. He was 39 years old. His final words were, May God never abandon me. A postmortem autopsy revealed extensive damage to his organs and led to the conclusion that he suffered from stomach cancer or tuberculosis or maybe both, and he had a brain lesion that was a source of headaches that he suffered through his life. After his death, his sister Gilbert became the caretaker of his works and his reputation. She wrote the first biography of her brother, His works continue to receive attention from skeptics and believers alike today, and his brilliance and faithfulness cannot be doubted. Now that wraps up another episode of Giants of the Faith. Thank you very much for listening. Pascal was a fascinating man, and we've barely touched the surface of his life here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Send along any feedback to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.